Back in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Ah, it feels good to be back in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Drink some White Claw Hard Seltzer on this Monday morning. Let's get, let's get your week started <laughs> off properly. I enjoyed some of the White Claw Black Cherry Vodka. It mixes great with Sprite Zero. It's delicious. In the morning? No, not in the morning. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, not in the morning. Yeah. No, I, I, my New Year's resolution is to drink only water in the morning, which it was really to get off soda because I have a problem with drinking soda like on the radio, needing a shot of energy, I say. But then that kind of just gives me a little a little bit of hiccups and it kind of just like messes with my, my delivery. And I was like, if I get into a habit of drinking a big gulp at like 7 a.m. every morning, like that, that'll be bad. So I was like, I'm not doing that. So no, only water for me in the mornings, Bob. I wait till at least 10.30 a.m. to get to my White Claw Hard Seltzer. There you go. Responsibly. Support the people who support us. We appreciate White Claw Hard Seltzer. All right, Sam, catch us up with some things that we might have missed from the weekend. Over the weekend, we have got, you know, this one might be a little bit tailored to me, but I'm going to go for it anyway. 20-year-old Nick Dunlap won the Amex Championship yesterday. Uh, First amateur to win on the PGA Tour since Phil Mickelson did in 1991. Only four amateurs have won on the PGA Tour in the last 75 years. Uh, it was 450 to 1 odds coming into the week. Nice. Yeah. Uh, this kid is a sophomore in college at Alabama. Uh, just unbelievable talent. So much young talent coming up in golf right now, but this guy uh, really was a huge headline in golf this weekend, staving off some, some big-time names uh, over there at the MX Championship, and, and he takes it home. Can you tell me, Sam, if I am being a hater by saying that my initial thought when I saw his headline was, wow, Liv, Liv has made PGA a lot weaker? To me, I think this is dunking on Liv a little bit. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't think there's any... The I fact that an amateur can go come in and win an event is dunking on Liv. Explain this to me. I think, that is, I think that shows the young talent that golf has, and I don't think that Liv has that young talent. I think they're trying to poach away talent that's like already kind of established, and you have to have those fans. But I think that so many young kids are like have gotten into golf post-pandemic, and I think that a lot of this young talent is going to be able to, to be very relatable to a lot of these young kids as well. So you're a... I'm a pro PGA. Guy. Yeah, I, I know say, you're, you're a you're, you're you're a PGA yeah, shill, yeah, yeah. huh? I'm a, I'm a PGA. Star. I don't know how you how you look and you say it's a good thing that an amateur come on came on and won and you know for the first time since '91. To me, it just screams that the field's a lot weaker than it used to be. And if he's an amateur, it doesn't mean he's necessarily assigned to PGA, right? This guy could now theoretically loses it, like give up his amateur status to get signed by Liv and get a bunch of money, right? Yeah, but he's got PGA Tour status until like 2026. Now that he's won this tournament, he's in the he won the U.S. Amateur last year, so like he's playing in the Masters, he's playing in a couple majors. Like he's but, but yesterday was like career changing for him. That's life changing. But he didn't get any, he didn't get any money from it. No, though, you right? don't get, you don't right. get any money. No. But and there were as an amateur and there were some right. big, there were some big names in it, right? JT, oh yeah, Shockley, I mean Sam Burns, yeah. Sam Burns, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he can earn money now, or he could be like, hey, I'll take my 50 million dollars from Liv and and go be a Maybe, yeah. Well, that's what the Tennessee golfers rumored to be doing, right? Surratt I mean, is is rumored to be going. Yeah, to, uh, to Caleb like, yeah. Surratt is rumored to be joining. I believe John Rom's Rom's team, yeah. right? And Surratt's been money. rumored to to be going to live for months now, and, and haven't really seen a whole lot of traction from it though. I wouldn't be surprised. I saw it heat up last week. Yeah, where it, I did. it became a bigger. Yeah. Uh, I saw that talk, as well. Talking point. I saw that as well. Yeah. I just don't know. I don't know. I feel like if I'm an amateur, and I was you know worth money, 
or uh, you know, it'd be hard to turn down my first big payday. I guess the chase. It sucks that they don't get paid. Yeah. Right. As just like an amateur status, I'm sure like Justin Thomas, he finished like third in the event. Like I'm sure he's an Alabama alum. Like he'll probably slide him a couple. Couple, couple hundred K under the table. Ah, and not... <laughs> I love you, brother, but I'm not giving you a couple hundred thousand. Oh. No one's no one's that good of a friend. But so, did he make any comments about his amateur status after winning? Did he say like, "Hey, I'm going to keep riding this out"? And... Yeah, he hasn't really spoken on that. It is like you know, some golf media people have. It's kind of been a talking point of like whether or not he should just quit school and just start going into it now that he's got like exempt status through a couple years from now, like or just keep playing and kind of take like his sponsor exemptions whenever he can get them. It's kind of a it's kind of a tough decision for him. I mean, he's 20 years old, so, like, you know, it's taking a big gamble on your whole career if you kind of throw away college and then you don't pan out in the PGA. Welcome to the 54 Tour, my friend. Welcome to Live Golf. <laughs> now, these golfers, they can make NIL money or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Maybe he can make some NIL money then. I'm sure he can as an college. amateur. These scores, though, man, he he <laughs> won at minus 29. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've been I, I follow course. Yeah, I follow a lot of golf, and I mean, I know the play the level of play has gotten so much better that these scores are getting more and more like crazy. But this is like a different level. So yeah, the course must have been definitely favorable. But yeah, I mean, again, it speaks to there's so many good golfers that are out there now that are on the horizon. I mean, it's. It's it's absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't like my golf with an average of seven under par, though. Like each no, round, like I, I don't like the scores that low. You like it? You, like you like a twenty nine under? No, I don't. You like it yeah. really high scoring? I yeah. Guess. Well, yeah, I'm yeah. saying yeah. I don't, I don't like seven under being a you know like achievable. For Do you four. root for the course? Not to that degree, but like I want my numbers to be like 12, 13 under. Because I mean twenty nine under. I mean like. Yeah, I think hey, 29 kind of sucks. How, like, how many bogeys did this guy have for the whole weekend? One? <laughs> Barely maybe? any, yeah. Yeah, he, I was going to say, it's a shoot He made a double on Sunday, actually. Really? Yeah, so okay. impressive little comeback from there. Yeah, I, I don't root for the course. I don't want it to be like in the positives. I don't want it to be like one or two <laughs> under, but yeah, give me. <laughs> that double bogey was the windmill hole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, he double bogeyed and still won? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good for him. Yeah. yeah. I didn't watch any of it. No, I wouldn't expect you to. Um some college football recruiting. Uh, number number one quarterback in the 2024 class, Ju- Julian Sayan, uh, committed to Ohio State over the weekend after decommitting from Alabama. Uh, another headline also comes out that Ohio State's NIL collective has reportedly spent $13 million in counting to retain and add players for this upcoming season. Well, they went out and they've gotten... Are they the two biggest guys in the portal? At least two of the top five biggest guys in the portal right. in terms of going out and getting, I mean, the, the number one, Caleb Downs. Mm-hmm. I mean, that guy is a monster. He is a a stud. He might be the best player in college football next year. I don't, I don't think that's really hyperbole. Uh, and then they get the top-ranked quarterback from the recruiting class, you know, the year before, who is, uh, or I guess this recruiting cycle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it got into Alabama as an early enrollee or Correct. whatever, and yeah. then then decided to hit the portal. Okay, and uh, Keenshawn Judkins from Ole Miss. Yeah, went out and got the best running back in the portal. Yeah. And and yeah. name in the portal. Pretty so much they, every NFL prospect besides Marvin Harrison Jr. has come back for them as well. Yeah, they are taking it personally that Michigan has passed them and that Michigan has won a title. Yeah. Ryan Day will not be the Ohio State coach if they do not win the game next year. <laughs> I got to give them credit for doing that. Yeah. I got to give them credit for going forward and for saying, hey, we are a huge fan base. We have this money. We're going to pay the collective. We're going to get we're going to get back on top. 
On the other hand, they hired Bill O'Brien to be their offensive coordinator. So that's not really adding up to bring in Bill O'Brien to run the offensive coordinator. Bill O'Brien, I believe I saw he has coached eight years with Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. And he has zero championships. Do you know how hard that is? That is tough. Do you know how hard it is to coach with Nick Saban and Bill Belichick for eight years? Yeah. And come out of it with zero championships? It's almost impressive. It is. Yeah. It's like going 0 for 10 on your parlay. That's just as hard (laughs) as going 10 and 0 on your parlay. Eight years, zero championships. Ah. The two goats. Saying committed to Bama, too, when Bill O'Brien was the offensive coordinator at Alabama. Well, I saw something from Alabama message boards that they were they were freaking out because they believe that uh, Kalen DeBoer kind of told him they liked the other guy. Because they got another recruit, or they got another yes. commitment last week, and that basically he told Saiyan, like, we like this kid better. Yeah. He I brought his true. guy from Washington and said, I like this kid better. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if that's true or not, but, like, that's bold. It's bold. Turning down the number one quarterback in the class doesn't seem like the greatest idea to me, but yeah. He is bringing in all of his guys. He is not bringing in – he does not care about the South. He does not care about what Alabama fans want. He is going to try to do it his way, which maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. He's shipping off his Louis luggage. He's not bringing it in. Yeah, you guys could go. You go ahead and go up to to Ohio State. And then uh, my last one, yeah, speaking of Ohio State, Caitlin Clark – Got uh, trampled in the in the court storming loss. Maybe not trampled. I don't know. She got hit. Bob, she got you hit. See this? Did you see Caitlin Clark get truck sticks? Yeah, I've seen about six different angles of it, and I I think there's you know I I think I think it's both sides, man. I think you know the person had their phone was running out on the court, wasn't paying attention, and I'm sure they collided, but felt like Caitlin maybe flopped a yeah. little wow. after the contact. I think she kind of flopped a little. Wow. Bit. I'm she not got saying hit for sure, but I, like I think rushing the court. You know, again, this is a get off my lawn moment. I'm not a fan of rushing the court at this point. You know, this is uh, this is why you know teams try to get their guys off as or gals off as fast as possible. But uh, but yeah, I think she she added to it a little bit because then she was fine in the post game. I don't know if you saw that. She's like, yeah, I'm okay. AD came and apologized, so we're good. <laughs> it was uh, it was interesting. I don't know. I've had the wind knocked out of me before. I mean, yeah, you're you're. You bounce back 20 minutes later. So, I mean, the fact she got to the press car, I was like, oh, I'm fine. To be running full speed and have someone just drill you, though, like, and you not see them coming to get blindsided, like, yeah. I, I do believe that she got the wind knocked out of her. Oh, yeah. I, I so, like, the, the fact that, like, they had to huddle around and pick her up, like, anybody who's ever been blindsided knows that feeling of, like, <gasps> but, but the arms, man, the arm movement. She's, like, 130 pounds. <laughs> oh, come on. I saw it, like, when she first, when they first made contact, like, she kind of put her arms into the girl that she was running into also, and then she kind of. Flopped and went. I mean, I don't. I don't think it was that bad of a flop. I do agree. Like she was probably getting hit full speed. But can you imagine if she had been hurt? Oh my god! The sport's biggest star. I'm you know, really surprised ever, nobody hasn't gotten hurt. Or at least her. the last, you know, ten years, hands down, the biggest college basketball, women's college basketball star. Like if she gets decked by a court stormer, blindsided. Is that a bigger fine? You year? think that's got to be a bigger fine for the athletic department if you got an injury on an opposing team. I don't know how how would schools feel about paying fines for. That sounds terrible, but for women's basketball court storming, because I imagine it's the it's same expensive. penalty as like it's expensive as like, I mean like it's expensive in the SEC. Maybe the Big Ten doesn't have that policy, but like you know now that we're a repeat offender, I think we got credit for doing it twice. So like if if Kelly had a had a big upset and beat like South Carolina at home and like you know 
couple hundred students rush, rush the court and it costs us half a million dollars. Yeah, isn't it like, half a mil? I, I wonder how Danny would feel about that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, interesting note from uh, a listener who uh, we were talking about Ohio State and how our view is they're killing it in the portal, and I'd still say that's correct. But a little little factoid here. There are eight schools that have signed more than 20 players from the portal this offseason, and Louisville has the most with 26 signings out of the portal. Ohio State has six, and there are 48 schools with more commits than OSU. So the you know question is, it's the caliber of who they're bringing in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, Louisville's going the Colorado route. Yeah. Of just load up in the portal. And, like, that, that – Louisville maybe, you know – I guess I would say wins a couple more games, but they won't. They're going to take a step back from where they were last year. But they're getting some low-end starters. They're getting some depth pieces. I mean, Tyler Barron's a good player. But, you know, the, the secondary guys they got from Tennessee, low-end starters. Right. Depth guys. But, like, Ohio State, they got two bona fide blue chippers. Now, we'll see if this Julian Sayan kid can play. Like, I don't know if he'll be the – I don't think he'll be the quarterback next no, year. No. So, like, I don't think that matters. But, like – Downs is the best player in the country, and and Judkins is one of the best running backs in the country, and I don't know who else they got in the portal, but they, yeah. they made notes, just news just from getting those two. Yeah, absolutely. So it seems like so far we were worried maybe that Georgia benefits from Alabama taking a step back. At least so far it seems like Ohio State kind of suckling, vacuuming some of that talent up. Because, I mean, Downs was rumored to go to – to go to Georgia. Yeah, yeah, he was. He had, a, he had a tie there on the coaching staff, but apparently his dad hates Georgia. And kind of, I don't want to say forbade his son, but it was like, I guess, probably pushing. Like, hey, let's go, to, let's go to Ohio. Let's go to Ohio State. I think Ohio State was two in his recruitment, too. Okay. So he was pretty big on Ohio State coming in. How about the other Alabama kid, Proctor, is going, going to Iowa? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's going home. He's, he's an going Iowa, home. He's an yeah. Iowa kid. I was more interested in his quote. Did you see his quote where he's like, hey, when I was struggling early on in the SEC – Iowa reached out to me and told me, like, hey, keep my head up. Like, they reached out to me. I was like, ah, is that tampering? Are you allowed to, like, yeah. kind of keep checking in? I mean, I, he didn't say who from Iowa. Maybe it was coaches. Maybe it was their NIL collective. Hey, hey, big fella, keep your head up. Keep in mind. I saw a great we're, tweet we're that said his uh, his snap count is going to go in half now. <laughs> that is true. That is true. You know, for an offensive lineman, less wear and tear. Would yeah. you rather, would you rather yeah. come play this really fast Tennessee style? This fast Alabama style, or would you rather, you know, go Iowa will play less? He'll have a lot of tread on the hey, tires when he gets to the NFL. Same pay for half the work. <laughs> yeah. that's That's been the debate about Judkins going back to Ohio State. Judkins going there, they have Travion Henderson yeah. too, but they both, you know, if yeah. they're willing to split, that's going to help their pro prospects too and their longevity. But shout out to Big Zalens Hurd because he looked at this, mm-hmm. this Tennessee offense that's fast, fun, and hopefully real again next year, and he said, I want to be a part of that. We'll talk Tennessee football. We'll catch you up on some stuff from the roster. And, you know, got another commitment hopefully coming up today with a five-star local quarterback. We'll talk with Ryan Shumpert, Rocky Top Insider. Coming up after the break, it's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. This segment is brought to you by Knoxville Smiles. Don't put off your dental visits any longer. Dr. Stephen Malone and his staff take pride in listening to and communicating with their patients to help make the best decisions about their dental health. The dentist can be an unpleasant place. It could be somewhere you don't really want to go to or deal with. 
But trust the people that we trust, Knoxville Smiles, from routine dental cleanings to tooth and wisdom tooth removal, restorative procedures, Invisalign, veneers, implants. They do it all. You can contact Knoxville Smiles at 865-539-1776 or take a virtual tour of their state-of-the-art West Knoxville facility at KnoxvilleSmiles.com. Let's go to the phone lines. Let's do a little Tennessee Rewind here with Ryan Shumpert, Rocky Top Insider. Ryan, top of the morning to you. Appreciate you guys having me on. I feel like Monday is the day we've been pointing to for a week. Hopefully we're all going to get this, finally going to get this snow to melt today. And uh, glad to start this uh, happy Monday with you guys. Dear God, please. Please melt snow. Please. <coughs> we were talking earlier uh, when we were talking Tennessee basketball. Do you take this team through this point of the season or the 2019 team through their point of the season? And that's a good question. I would I would probably say what the 2019 team, you would say the resume or what they had done was more impressive. Uh, but I think I, I like this team when you're projecting towards making a run in March. I think I like this team more. You have more balance. This team is much better defensively uh, than that team was. I think that team ended you know around 45, 50 uh, in Ken Palm uh, adjusted defensive efficiency. And obviously this team isn't as good offensively as that team was, but still it's top 20. It's deeper. It, it, that team really only went six guys deep. I mean, you had a young Eves Ponds and a young John Fulkerson that played a little bit of minutes, uh, but those guys were probably – the level they played at was probably the equivalent of Tennessee's ninth and tenth men this year. Um, and then I think just the fact that you have a more dominant ball-handling scorer in, in Dalton Connect on top of Zakai Ziegler, who I think is playing at a similar level that Jordan Bone was uh, for a lot of that season where – Maybe the resume and maybe the what this, that 2019 team had done to this point was more impressive, but I think when you start projecting towards making a run in March, I think there's more to like about this team. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for joining us, man. Um, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on um, what we're seeing. We, we talked about this a little bit earlier, the potential – kind of we're seeing it maybe a transformation in the lineup happening and uh mindful of the fact that Josiah was apparently coming off uh, a little bit of a sickness but saw a lot more Meshack than we saw Josiah on Saturday do you think that's situational or do you, you don't think uh, I mean it feels like based on everything I hear from from coach Barnes he hasn't like lost his faith in Josiah but um, I don't know. I just think that that's something to, to be paying attention to, and I'm just curious uh, you know, what your thoughts are from your standpoint of covering the team. I think in the game Saturday it was just more situational because they were going to throw Meshack at Sears, and obviously Alabama, really good offensive team, really perimeter-based offensive team with their guards, and Meshack is good as probably anybody in the country when it comes to perimeter defenders. So I think that's a big part of it, and I've talked about this, with some other people, too, when you're talking about finding Tennessee's best five. And, and obviously, Meshack's not in the starting lineup, but I think the versatility he gives Tennessee, and then there's the fact that what makes Meshack a special player is that you know what he does best you're going to get from him every single night. He's not going to be inconsistent with the scoring, which you can see from Josiah Jordan-James, you can see from Santiago Vescovi, and I think when you add that, uh, consistency and that versatility for Meshack. I think you could see, even though Meshack's not in the starting lineup, you could see 
at the end of, in crunch time at the end of any of these games. You could see him play the two for Vescovy. Vescovy's not having a good night. You could see him playing the four if James isn't having a great night. And then uh, it feels like we're over, to, you know, kind of we're over to Ridge and, and Dalton Connect's not going to, you know, he's going to be in the best five every single night. But two weeks ago uh, when he wasn't playing at his best, I would have said the same thing where Meshack could be in for a connective at tonight that he doesn't have it going. So, uh, you know, I don't necessarily think you're seeing a transitional switch there to Meshack kind of overtaking Josiah's minutes. Um, but certainly Meshack having the capability to play the 4-2, uh, which I think is one of the things that makes Josiah so valuable to this Tennessee team, uh, allows Tennessee to have some flexibility on nights when Josiah is not playing very well. You know what Meshack's going to bring. You know uh, that defense is going to be there every single night, and you'll see the possibility of him playing at Josiah's minutes kind of towards uh, the final minutes of the game. Like we saw, uh, really probably Georgia, I think, would have been the best example of that, where that game was tight towards the end, and the last eight minutes, Josiah was on the bench, and Jemai was playing the four. Yeah, a quick observation that I saw, and maybe it doesn't mean anything, but I, I found it interesting, and it was at the beginning of the game, you know, they do starting lineups, and then the the starting five converged at midcourt, you know, doing their little huddle, doing their little, you know, team on three type deal. But there were six there, and Meshack was there too, and um, and so what I I think I don't I don't read any tea leaves on that. I just think that Meshack really views and covets his role as kind of a six man, and he is part of that rotation in a big way. And then we saw it happen in that game. So uh, it just just kind of an interesting observation. Probably not a whole lot to take from it, but it was it was weird. I was, it, it caught me when I saw that. No, I definitely think he thinks of himself as a six starter, and I yeah. mean he, he is an important part of the team, and you know kind of like Manu Ginobili. I mean, obviously not the same type of player as Manu Ginobili, but I mean yeah. he he didn't start for the Spurs, but was a key contributor, and and Meshack has carved out a role of kind of being like I said, Tennessee has six guys that they feel can play at any moment and play at a high level. Switching gears to football, Tennessee able to land two. Big old girthy, meaty boys from the transfer portal yesterday as uh, Jackson Moy. Is that how we're saying his name? Jackson Moy? Jackson Moy is how I've been saying it. Okay, Jackson Moy from Stanford and Zalance Hurd, the five star left tackle transfer from LSU. Just kind of talk about the importance of Tennessee kind of being able to shore up that left tackle position. Hey, and Ryan, in any of your writing, please don't refer to him as girthy and meaty. They're big, meaty boys. <laughs> oh, man. Nice big, a big guy. Thick. No, I mean, I think we talked about it when I was on here a couple weeks ago that Lance Hurd was, you know, almost just a must-get for Tennessee. At least Tennessee had to get somebody at the, the tackle spot, and obviously they kind of passed on the Mississippi State kid. They didn't pursue him super, super hard, let him go to Auburn, which kind of left them with one option, and that was Lance Hurd. And uh, it's just a huge get. And I think you go from – even if you bring Gerald Mincy back, you feel pretty good about the offensive line, but you don't feel just fantastic. Obviously, Tennessee's offensive line wasn't great this season, and it's pass protection left some to be desired, and you really upgraded that spot. And now you can move John Campbell over to the right side, and it'll be kind of wait and see to see how effective he'll be there. But, you know, you think he'll be able to play at the same level, which is a really solid, not an elite, but a solid level. And then you bring a guy with, with super, super high upside and herd. And I think one of the things that's maybe – most encouraging about it is that he's a guy that was just a true freshman this past year. He's going to have to play at least two more seasons before going to the NFL. And when you talk about some of Tennessee's deficiencies recruiting along the offensive line, 
it, it felt like so much of what they've done the past few years and what they were going to have to do maybe this offseason, even going into the next offseason, was just kind of band-aid solutions. And Lance Hurd isn't that. He's a guy that can play multiple seasons, and I think that's really, really encouraging. I think it really raises the ceiling of Tennessee's offensive line. I think you go into it thinking that this will be as good as any group that Josh Heibel's had probably besides 2022, but I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a, a major step back from that group either. So that's a big win, and I think you, when you look at it from a, a broad perspective, Tennessee really gambled by letting Gerald Mincy walk and letting him go into portal and up at an SEC rival in Kentucky. That was a risk. That was a calculated risk, um, but certainly one that could have come back to backfire on Josh Heupel and his staff. It doesn't. Tennessee really upgrades to that spot. Um, and I think certainly landing Hurd, biggest win to the date for Tennessee in the portal. And then Jackson Moy, you know, he's a guy that's going to add a lot of depth to the defensive tackle spot. I think that's probably not as big of a concern as maybe you would have thought at the beginning of the offseason. You bring Amari Thomas back, you bring Omar Norman Lott back, uh, but always good to have another body there. And I think the two things that I like about that get, he has some versatility. He played some strong side defensive end for Stanford last year uh, when they had some some injuries in, uh, at that spot. And then also the fact that you talk about all these guys at defense tackle, a lot of them are entering their final year of eligibility. And Moy still has uh, three years to play two seasons, so he'll be a guy that's back in 2025 uh, when Tennessee's kind of in a transition spot at the defense tackle position. Yeah, so Tennessee able to kind of find their left tackle that you anticipate kind of matches up the time of Nico. Right, like I mean, Nico, two yep. years. Right. Lance Hurd. Now you have his left tackle. You're going to protect his blind side. You're going to make sure that he's healthy and hopefully standing upright, not under fire, running around kind of like he was in the Iowa game. On three has him as a five star transfer. He was a five star prospect. Uh, they compare him to DJ Fluker. Uh, you know the Alabama offensive lineman that I believe went number eleventh overall in his draft. So. High upside, high potential, a position of need. Do you feel now, Ryan, that Tennessee is good to go in the trenches, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, or are you still concerned on either one of those? I think they can definitely get by. I think it's one where you, on the offensive line you probably examine what's out there after the spring period and if there is maybe a swing tackle or some guy that you think can come in and compete for that left guard spot. You probably go out and get them because, you know, depth is really the issue that you still look at at the offensive line. But when you're talking as far as you have five guys that can start for you on the offensive line, I think definitely so. And I think you do have some competition at left guard. Um, so I don't think it's a necessity. I'd be surprised if you see them do anything else here uh, in kind of this winter period. Um, but I'm sure Tennessee will kind of keep their ears out and be evaluating guys when the portal opens back up in the spring. We are two hours away. From George McIntyre, five-star quarterback prospect, making his announcement. All signs point to Tennessee, correct? Yeah, it would be a, an absolute shocker. If it wasn't Tennessee, it felt like Tennessee was in the driver's seat before Nick Saban retired, and it felt like before that Alabama was really the only team that was going to challenge Tennessee for him. And then you add on the fact that he was in Knoxville this weekend kind of without announcing anything uh, and was sitting beside Josh Heupel at that Tennessee-Alabama basketball game. It would it would really be the shocker of all shockers if Tennessee doesn't land George McIntyre here in a couple hours. Ryan, did you watch any of the Polynesian Bowl? I did not. I saw the the Mike Matthews touchdown, and I obviously wrote about that on the site. Yeah, it wasn't watching any of the game while it was going on. Well, I did because again we were snowed and 
iced in and I watched a lot of TV that I normally wouldn't watch. But uh, yeah, the, Matthews obviously, you know, got the MVP and all of that. Uh, so two years in a row with Polynesian Bowl MVPs. Don't know how much that matters. But um, but also um, Jake Merklinger played. And um, and actually, I mean, he, he got drilled once, fumbled the ball. But a couple of his passes, I mean, they they he looked good. Uh, if we're thinking about the future at quarterback between him and, and of course, McIntyre, um, you know, if we're in the mindset that maybe we get two seasons out of Nico, um, I, I don't know. I think we, we've got some good prospects on the way there. All due respect to Merklinger, but I don't, to me, he feels like Taven Jackson. You know, he was kind of the guy in between the guys in, in yeah. terms of, of recruiting. Like, he's almost an afterthought, I think, you know, for a lot of fans because they do think Nico two years and then, you know, you get the 6'6" five-star quarterback with football in his DNA. You know, he comes from a long line of, of coaches. I mean, I, I think you kind of hope that you transition from one six six five star to the other six six five star Do you think Merli- Merlinger has a chance? I mean, uh, is he into this staff's plans? Because it seems like the, the, the plan is going to be stud quarterback, take a year off, stud quarterback is kind of the, the way they kind of got drawn up, especially the transfer portal era. I'm with you, John. I, it's a hard to see a path to – if things go to way Tennessee hopes where Merklinger is going to be a starting quarterback. But I think what you like about him is just he's a guy that comes in that maybe doesn't have the highest ceiling but seems to have a really high floor and could, if, again, transfer portal age is a lot easier said than done. But if you can keep him on campus for a couple of years, he'd be a really serviceable backup and a solid guy that can come in and play if you do have some injuries, which obviously is you know, no given to have a competent backup in this era of college football. Again, that's easier said than done to keep him. Merklinger could be here for a year, kind of see the writing on the wall with all that stuff, uh, and enter the transfer portal just like Tavon Jackson did. Um, but certainly I, I kind of liked it. He is a different prospect, and I think kind of has a, a different niche than both Iamaliava and McIntyre does, and that could bode well for Tennessee from kind of a roster management standpoint. Yeah, it almost makes me wonder if Tennessee is going to be in the market for a a older transfer quarterback. You know, I, I like someone who I've always said just kind of wants to get into coaching, that wants to come here and be a depth piece and a emergency plan that maybe you know then gets a spot as a GA on staff and can get into coaching because it does make you a little worried that Nico is your starter and your backup still. Gaston Moore and now, you know, a freshman quarterback, uh, you know, as your only kind of options. A hundred percent. I mean, that would be the ideal situation. It's just, you know, are any of those guys out there? Are any guys out there that are yeah. okay with coming in knowing that they're going to be a backup for, like you said, you want a veteran guy there. You're not looking for a young guy in their final year of football. That's exactly what you said. That's what you're looking for, a guy that wants to get into coaching, wants to learn Josh Heupel's system and – uh, again, kind of get into coaching in Tennessee and with under Heupel, but you just don't know if any of those guys are out there. You know, I would have said the same thing last year. You probably would have wanted someone a little more prone to to be able to compete and come into play than you do this season. Um, but Tennessee hasn't been able to find that yet. But uh, I imagine they'll can continue to keep looking. And you know, Tyler Buckner, uh, who Alabama got last year, would be a guy I think would kind of be a similar mold. Uh, so maybe someone of someone pops up in the portal after spring practice like Buckner did last year. Yeah, even Ole Miss was able to go get Spencer Sanders from from Oklahoma State. You know, it took a starter at a good program, or at least a respected program, and and brought him in, and he was second or third on the depth chart. So I do hope that, you know, you maybe you can find one of those depth pieces or even somebody stepping up from a lower level. But 
exciting times for Tennessee football. I thought last week, you know, they might get scared off a little bit by the Saban news in terms of announcements because you don't want this to get lost in the shuffle. Like, this is a momentum time for Tennessee football. You get a five-star tackle. You get a, a, a Pac-12 transfer. Well, I guess RIP Pac-12. An ACC transfer, whatever the hell Stanford plays now. And now you can follow that up with a five-star in-state quarterback. Big times for Josh Heupel and for Tennessee. You can read Ryan's coverage and the rest of the team over at RockyTopInsider.com. Bob, you got anything else for Ryan on the way out? Hey, Ryan, this week with basketball off, a um, couple very quick questions out the door. A, do we think the, the team's going to take any time off, uh, you know, even a day with, you know, the way Barnes works them? And B, hopefully that helps you guys take a little time off too. Uh, definitely. You know, I, Tennessee wouldn't have had anything yesterday. I think they would have had the complete day off. And I imagine they'll be a little bit slower or at least a little bit lighter on some practices this week and a little bit heavier film session. Rick Barnes emphasized, you know, this is a big week for the freshmen. Uh, I'm sure all four of those guys will be getting a lot of run. And, you know, you're kind of seeing some development from Freddie DeLeon. He's starting to be, get a more consistent role. And the same could be said for J.P. Estrella. And then, yeah, it'll slow things up for a little bit for us, but kind of comes at a good time for us from the standpoint that classes finally start back. I guess what was supposed to be today, what will really be tomorrow, uh, which means football team officially reporting uh, all the guys that maybe seniors and such that didn't make announcements about whether they're coming back. We'll have definitive, definitive word on it, and we'll kind of start looking forward to what Tennessee's roster will look like. We'll have our first depth chart, preseason depth chart piece of the offseason up this week, and a lot of other stuff is. Tennessee football gets started uh, with winter workouts and the 2024 football season. Uh, I guess not the football season, but the football calendar uh, begins this week for the Vols. Wait, wait, wait. It's it's depth chart season? It is, it is depth chart season. Oh, First baby. of probably four or five. Uh, and if there's anything SEC football fans love, it's a good depth chart here, even in January. <laughs> I'll be honest. I feel a lot better about the depth chart this year knowing we got a good left tackle and a exciting five-star quarterback. I'll be happy to see Zalance heard left tackle Nico Iamaliava starting quarterback. RockyTopInsider.com. Ryan Shumpert, appreciate you as always. Talk to you next week. Sounds great. Appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you, Ron. Sam, send us a break. It's the morning show. Good morning. Looked like they were clearing a Good morning. Looked like they were clearing a wreck on 40 eastbound near Campbell Station a few minutes ago. Also in the cleanup stages of one further up on 40 east at Paper Mill. Again, we're still concerned about some of these back roads out here. Be very careful. Don't get too overconfident. A 24-7 reliable crane and rigging services here in East Tennessee. It's Tomahawk Crane and Rigging online at TomahawkCrane.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. Ever been the coach who realized the team's gear just wasn't up to par? Well, if I'm being honest... Sam, did you find yourself worried at all about Zaylin's herd? Because it was, I don't want to say like a poorly kept secret, but for the last 10 days or so, Tennessee fans were kind of in a waiting game. And every moment that it didn't come out with the official tweet like, hey, I'm coming... Classes are getting ready to start. <laughs> did, it, did, did any doubt creep in your mind at all? A little bit, honestly. It did kind of feel like you'd gotten so many predictions for him so early on, and then there was just that felt like four to you know four to like seven day dead period where you just didn't hear anything. It felt like he was just waiting for another school to come in with like a bigger offer. Yeah, <laughs> I'll say the only time I got nervous was whenever the the Alabama tackle that ended up at Iowa went into the portal. 
Because like they got into the mix late, and I was like, oh, no, what if Alabama just mm. scrambles and says, hey, kid. I need a left tackle. <laughs> yeah, we need a left tackle here at Alabama. That, that's the only time I got a little bit nervous, but classes start, and Tennessee finds their left tackle. That's a big deal, and now hopefully you follow that up by you know, just a mere hours later getting the in-state George McIntyre. Again, comes from, comes from good stock, comes from a coaching family. His dad used to coach at, or his grandfather, excuse me, used to coach at Vanderbilt. His uncle, you know, George McIntyre, had some good luck at at Colorado. You want kind of the coach, and you want your quarterback to kind of be that coach, or have to be wired like a coach. Mike McIntyre was the one in Colorado. Yeah. yeah, George's grandfather, Mike, the uh, the uncle. Excuse me, but yeah, I'm excited for for McIntyre. Uh, I'm excited to have just a, a string of tall quarterbacks too. Six six is like the height you want for yeah. a quarterback. Not girthy, but not girthy. Tall, tall. Not Bean girthy. Stocks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. more of a more of just a, a long, lanky meat here instead of a, a girthy. Yes, at the moment he looks he looks he looks leaner than Nico. You know, that the, I don't think that's a problem. I'm just saying that sure. for, for anybody that's worried about that, I mean, it's just get over it. Well, well, the good news for McIntyre is that you know. There'll be less pressure on getting him on the field soon. You know, like you, yeah. if you're coming to sit behind Nico at least for a year, maybe you know if you're him, you're like, hey, I could beat him out in year two. Maybe, maybe you're that's your goal. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's hey, I want to learn. I want to be ready, and then I'll take my chance. You know, junior year, senior year. You know, if Tennessee can get in that place with these recruits, that's how you build successful programs, right? 865-546-8200 if you want to weigh in on this recruiting news, if you want to weigh in on the basketball team. 865-546-8200. We'll open the phone lines up for the rest of this hour. We'll be joined by Josh Dobbs, football player, at the uh, the top of hour three. But, like, that's what you've seen with Alabama. That's their problem now. When you look at the 20-some-odd guys in the transfer portal, it's one thing when you get to sit behind – first and second round picks and get coached by Nick Saban and you only get like maybe one year in spotlight or or two years in the spotlight it's one thing to get that with with Nick Saban I trust Nick Saban to get me to the NFL even in a year like those practices with Nick Saban are are might as well be NFL scrimmages right like that's what all those guys used to talk about like of course the cornerbacks are good they're going up against Julio Jones all the time they're going up against Amari Cooper of course they're going to be good like, scrimmaging there was an NFL factory. Whenever Nick Saban leaves, that changes. All of a sudden, you don't have guys maybe willing to sit and wait their turn as much. If you're Tennessee, the best thing you can do is to create that culture where you can have these top-ranked prospects be okay with sitting and waiting and competing. That McIntyre looks and says, hey, yeah, I could go play somewhere day one. I don't want that. I don't even care about playing year two because hopefully Tennessee is competing for a national championship both years. Like, to me, I said it after the Nick Saban news. Or the Saban news even made more pressure on it. But, like, the, the expectation is to make the playoff. And then, of course, you know, Nico's junior year, I wouldn't imagine that would change. So, like, McIntyre knows what's ahead of him. In the transfer portal area, of course, you'll always worry. But you hope that like the expectation is, hey, we're going to keep this thing rolling. We're going to plug, plug and play, and you get to play in this offense, and we're going to have 
hopefully some good players around you. Look at Mike Matthews, who absolutely showed out at the Polynesian Bowl. Good job by you, Bob, on breaking that up because he was the talk of that bowl. Absolutely. Like, I mean, to the point now where I think, like, hey, there's a it's going it's to be hard to keep him off the field. Now, maybe he's not, like, a day one guy, but, like, by the middle of the year, like, I expect him to be making plays for Tennessee. Even if it's kind of like the squirrel right role of getting in later in the games. But, like, I expect to see him flash and make plays. He's a stud. I agree. Yeah, everything I saw, man, good as advertised. I saw some other talk coming out of the Polynesian Bowl. They're, they're, they're calling Jordan Ross, our defensive lineman, dirty. <laughs> Which, that's fine. We need a little Derek Barnett on that team. Like, Derek Barnett was borderline dirty as well. That would rough the quarterbacks up a little bit. And they said that uh, Ross was stomping on people and hitting them. And uh, I don't know if you want that in maybe a high school bowl showcase game. But, hey, I want my defensive lineman to have a little dog in him. Going to the phone lines? Going to the phone lines. We got Titans Bill on the got line. Got Titans Bill? Okay, let's talk to Titans Bill. Titans Bill, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you two doing today on this one on this sunny, um, beautiful day? Bring the sun, Titans, Bill. Melt up the snow. I'm all for it. Doing well. Hope you are too. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I'm I'm glad Darth Vader is retired, and I believe McIntyre will commit to Tennessee. McIntyre's coming. Uh, all signs point to that. Alabama was kind of the only competition, and it was out of respect to Nick Saban. He talked about how much he admired Nick Saban. Once Nick Saban left, I'd imagine Alabama completely out of it. It seems like a just a matter of time, about an hour and a half now, before Tennessee gets that commitment. Right on another note, I'm predicting who's going to be the next head coach for the Tennessee Titans. It's going to be Brian Callahan the offensive coordinator of the Cincinnati Bengals. I know that that he had some talks with uh, with the with the, the top brass over there for the Titans and also he's also talked to the Panthers. Brian Callahan, if the Titans offered you that job, you take it. I would rather you work for a person like Rand Carthon and and Amy Adams Strunk, then I would have you working for somebody like David Tepper. The Titans, for- the, the Titans can point to the Panthers and say, hey, we, we are in a better position than them. Brian Callahan set for his second interview today with the Titans. I think I would be pretty into this. Titans, Bill, appreciate the phone call, brother. 865-546-8200. If you want to weigh in, open phone lines for the rest of the hour. Sam, how would you feel about Brian Callahan's second interview today? Uh, I think he's done a good job with the Bengals. And, you know, you can't even say it's just Joe Burrow because I thought he made I thought he made their backup, Jake Browning, look pretty good and pretty competent too. So I do think the guy's uh, pretty sharp. Yeah, I would be good with Brian Callahan. You know, you were just talking about it with George McIntyre. You want your quarterbacks to kind of come from that family. I, you know, I think Callahan's also a guy who's – you know his family is is been deep in the coaching the coaching realm, and I think Callahan's a guy like you said who's been able to to kind of transform that Bengals offense kind of on its head at multiple times and throughout his career just due to the fact that Burrow's gotten injured a couple times. And yeah, I mean Jake Browning comes in and looks pretty good, and you know I think they've done a good job of kind of 
having a pretty balanced run game and with Joe Mixon in terms of all the weapons that they have on the outside with Joe Burrow as well. Yeah, I mean, they do a good job of getting their playmakers the ball. Mm -hmm. They also do a good job of, of kind of masking a bad offensive line, which, I mean, of course, that's going to be a part of the story with the Titans. Now, I will say, if, if Brian Callahan gets the job, I would imagine he brings his dad with him, Bill. Yeah, and Bill, Bill Callahan, former Raiders coach, has been – Really, really good at coaching offensive lines over the last decade. And, like, he has, he has done a really good job with the Cleveland Browns, who I believe had both their tackles get injured this year and didn't really miss a beat. So, like, you know, bringing his dad there to kind of be there and kind of mentor him as a head coach and to kind of fix that offensive line, that's appealing to me. So I do think if the Titans hire Brian Callahan, and that is a, uh, a win. They've also got, uh, apparently, the rumor is that Mike Munchak is interested in coaching again. And he's also a great offensive line yeah. coach, so you yeah. know, maybe maybe you end up with him. Maybe you end up with him instead of Callahan. I, I just figured he would bring his dad Well, maybe his dad. I've seen stuff that maybe his dad is kind of like your assistant head coach almost, yeah. and then Munchak can kind of be your offensive line guy, okay. but Callahan also has his hands on the O-line a little bit. Yeah, and you know, Callahan maybe gets just the credit for being the offensive coordinator because yeah. his son's going to yeah. be uh, responsible for the offense. So, yeah, like if you can get two – Former head coaches on there helping kind of mentor the son. That could be a pretty good staff. So, yeah, I do think that uh, would be a be a win. From what I've read, Bengal circles are, are very high on him. Like, the only sure. the only kind of drawback is that he isn't their play caller. But, I mean, you know, there's plenty of head coaches out there that have gotten head coaching spots without being a play caller before. So Okay. Okay. I'd be happy with it. I didn't fully realize he didn't call their plays. Yeah, Zach Taylor calls their plays. But apparently he creates their, like, offensive And that's philosophy. fun enough. Yeah. That's fun. So second interview for that dude. Second interview today. Uh, I appreciate Titans Bill breaking the bringing the breaking news, uh, <laughs> the inside information. McIntyre is going to commit. You heard it there first, and the Titans are going to hire the guy that's getting the second interview today. That that's the clear front runner. So uh, appreciate him for joining us. Nashville bureau Titans Bill. We appreciate him. Yes, getting the, this uh, boots on the ground reporting. The Bears are hiring uh, Seattle's offensive coordinator. To be their offensive coordinator, Correct. right? Yeah, Correct, they, yes. they had requested Kellen Moore yeah. a chance to bring him in for an interview for their offensive coordinator position from the Chargers. But the Chargers said no, mm -hmm. which makes me think maybe he's like their fallback plan for head coach or they want at least want to keep him an option to stay on as offensive coordinator. I would think. Because when you watch that Chargers offense this year, you had to say, yeah, give me some more of that. <laughs> What the hell? What is Kellen? Like, the Cowboys offense got better without him, and right. the Chargers offense got worse with him. I don't understand why they still view him as such a, a uh important part. But there we go. There we go. Tennessee football, big news. And like I said, I, I do think that they kind of letting that breathe. The Nick Saban announcement's old news now. The Alabama downfall, not old news. That's still very... That's still very prevalent in the conversation. But, Bob, I just told you they're, they're, they're going to finish second for this five-star quarterback. So it's another Alabama loss, you know, today, hopefully at uh, 1030 Eastern, 930 Central time. So hopefully we can kind of mix in two stories. Tennessee's emergence, Alabama's downfall continuing. Yeah, that would be great. Um, as much uh, Alabama discord as we can we can take, we'll, we'll take it. So I, I think that uh, – it's going to be interesting too, you know. What DeBoer brought in the backup quarterback to Penix from uh, Washington, right? Austin Mack. Yeah, yeah, and apparently that's why Sayan left. 
Yeah. Yeah, and it's just it, it still makes me wonder. I still I'm not sold Milrow is going to be the guy at quarterback for them in his in his offense, but well, the fit there doesn't make sense, right? Like he wants to throw the ball around and Milrow's not very good at throwing the ball right. around. You know, now whether or not he brings in this Matt guy to start from day 1 and and you would wonder what they would do in a locker room bringing in a guy from the outside, it, especially if the guy's not like head and shoulders better. Now, if the guy can ball, okay, like then, then then you deal with it, but like that was one of the reasons I gave Hypo a little bit of a pass for giving Joe Milton the start to start the season. It was just like, "Hey, it's hard to bring in somebody new and give them the start." Whenever somebody's been in the locker room with their with their teammates for a while, and and you know you you do kind of deserve the first crack at it, but at a certain point, if you can, it just comes down to can you ball or not, and and the players know that. Although one thing to note with uh, McIntyre, as I'm reading his on three, he's got some basketball scholarship offers too, so probably a pretty good athlete. Maybe not, maybe not the same level of Nico in volleyball, but you know he's got to be at least be able to move around a little bit. And... His film is impressive in terms of like out of the pocket. Okay, he, he makes some great throws on the run and like off platform throws. Good because that's yeah. what I want. They were an uncharacteristically bad, like, bad yeah. high school football team for, for how them. good they normally are. Right. right. Um, one of my daughter's classmates left Webb to go play at Brentwood uh-huh. to play with him. Yeah, and um, and really didn't do I think a lot. They went like two and ten or something right. oh, crazy God. like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it was... Our quarterback went two and ten. Well, his stats were, were crazy. Yeah, their was... defense was just garbage. Yeah, yeah no, but uh, the Trevor Lawrence stat always stood out to me. Like the guy didn't lose a game like in, in high school or college. Oh, no, they, they, this was a, this was a bad. Get season. all the losses out of the way before you get to college. Yes. You know? <laughs> okay. Is that a good place they play? I mean, I assume yeah, playing they play. Like, with, oh, yeah, they play oh, against all talent. of the top yeah. private schools that, in the in the city the, and all that. The, so, this yeah. kid that left Webb has like half a dozen Power Five conference yeah. offers, and he's only a sophomore. And so he he went because again he wanted to play at that level. So, I think yeah. I think this high school fired their coach. Like I think they've yeah. got a new guy coming in. They're, they did. They're restarting everything there. Like they're not they're not used to losing at Brentwood Academy over there. We'll get some quarterback takes from a quarterback coming up to kick off hour number three. Josh Dobbs joins us on the morning show.